Thank you, Father, that every sin I have ever committed, every sin I ever will commit, is forgiven, washed under the blood of Jesus, so that when you see me, you do not see me guilty in my sin. You see me full of grace because of Jesus. How thankful we are that Jesus has changed our lives. And as we open up your word and continue to worship you through the reading and preaching of it, I pray that your Holy Spirit would challenge us and change us after he convicts us, and that we will be ready to leave here today with the right priorities in our lives. It's in the good name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Take your Bible and find your copy of God's Word. Open up with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts is the story as we've walked through uh, this book the last couple of weeks, and we've got many other weeks to continue to walk through it. It is the story of the Acts of the Apostles, hence where it gets its name, of the church that is birthed and how the gospel is sent forward from Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts shows us that the church is not to be in a mode of maintenance, but in a mode of movement. The church was never designed to be a place where we sit, but rather a place from which we are sent. The first church, the one we're going to read about today, was a movement of people who were called out and gathered around a mission. The book of Acts shows us that their mission of God came first. The mission was given in Acts chapter 1. The church comes along in Acts chapter 2, it's important to see, to recognize that God did not create the mission for the church. God created the church to accomplish his mission. Therefore, a church that is not on God's mission is not really a church. Oh, we may be a group of social club that meets for fellowship, and, and we may have a holy huddle here and there, and we may be a group of friendly folks, but if God's mission is not being pursued, we cannot call ourselves a church. So Acts chapter, Acts chapter 2, it's the birth announcement of the church. And the true church of Jesus Christ has been celebrating birthdays for almost 2,000 years. So today we say, happy birthday, church. We've been here, been around, not this church, not, not some of you, I don't think, maybe a couple of you close, not for 2,000 years, but the church of Jesus has been around for almost 2,000 years. Oh, the locations are varied, but the Lord of the church of Jesus is the same. The methodology has changed, but the message has remained unchanged. The people may be different, but the purpose is consistent. Notice how the church's birth announcement begins in Acts chapter 2. It opens up by telling us this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. 
and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? So here's, here's what's happening. And this is not controversial. It shouldn't be controversial. It's pretty simple, straightforward. What's happening is that the Holy Spirit is falling upon the church. And an evidence of that is that uh, the disciples, the apostles, those who are speaking, begin to speak other languages that they do not know. And so it would be like a group of tourists from Japan coming to Milton, Florida, coming into our service to worship with us, and me having never had one lesson in speaking the Japanese language, standing up behind the pulpit, and all of a sudden I begin to speak Japanese. Uh, that's, that's, that's what's happening here in the text. There's no, this is not an unknown tongue. These are just unlearned tongues that these Galileans are speaking so that everyone for every nation can hear. The text uh, carries on and, and continues as it tells us uh, in, in verse 12. It says that all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this was what was uttered through the prophet Joel, that he quotes Joel for the Old Testament. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I tell you, verse 17 is a major verse where God says through Joel hundreds of years before this, and then Peter says that this day is a fulfillment of what God spoke through Joel all those days, all those years ago. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That, that all flesh is very important. Up until this point, God had only worked through one group of people, the nation of Israel, and even more refined and defined in that nation of Israel did God call out a group of people that he placed his spirit upon. And what God would do is that he would give his spirit to someone and that person 
would do something extraordinary and the spirit would return to heaven, to God. But here, what is happening in verse 17 is that Peter is saying that now the spirit of God has been given to all flesh so that everyone who chooses to trust Jesus Christ receives the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, he mentioned in the text, your, your, your daughters and your sons shall prophesy young men and old men. He mentioned back in verse 5, people from all nations. And so what this is letting us know is that at this point, the Spirit of God has been given to all people. So when it comes to the giving of the Spirit of God, when it comes to God giving that Spirit to people to accomplish His purpose, all flesh has received the Spirit of God so that they can carry out the mission of God. As Paul will later say in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, there is no more distinction between male and female, uh, Jew and Greek, slave and free, for we are all one in Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that we, we don't have differences uh, about us or among us or between us, but it means that when it comes to the Spirit of God being given to people to accomplish the work, ministry, and mission of God, that spirit is given to all flesh, a major moment occurring here in Acts chapter 2 when God gives his spirit to all flesh. Now later down in the chapter, specifically if you'll look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayers. That word, that word devoted is a word that means that you give yourself exclusively to something. It's a word that means you're totally committed to something. And so we would say that their devotion would indicate that they made some things their priority. Let's, let me point out to you four priorities that this original church had. I mean, this is the, this is the first church. This is the real deal. If they're going to grab a hold of something, we need to grab a hold of it. If they're going to make something a priority, I think it would be good for us to make it a priority. And I see in this text, in verse 42, four priorities that they had. Not any particular order, but these are four priorities that they had. Number one is this, the person of God. One of their priorities was the person of God. You see that phrase in verse 42. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Now, what did the apostles teach? Well, the apostles taught the Old Testament, and they also taught what they had experienced and what they had witnessed firsthand from interacting with Jesus. This is where we get the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That reveals to us Matthew's interactions with Jesus, how Luke heard from Jesus. And so if you think back to how has God revealed himself, God always reveals himself through words. In fact, the entire canon of scripture that has the books that reveal the nature of God to us, we call that the word of God. And so when it says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, that's telling us that this first church, they were devoted to who God was, to understanding the person of God, because that's what the apostles are going to teach them. The apostles are teaching them this is who God is. So I would ask you, are you devoted to the person of God? 
Are you devoted to the teaching of Scripture that reveals to us the nature of God? Listen to the statistic that comes from LifeWay Research and the statistic that they, the conclusions that they, that they found in a study they did some time ago about Protestant churchgoers. They discovered that 40% read the Bible once a week or less. Does that sound like the Word of God's a priority? Does that sound like that the people of God are devoted to the person of God as revealed in Scripture? Oh, if we want to, to experience the Lord in all the ways he wants us to experience him, we have to make the person of God as revealed in Scripture a priority. Now, that's not the only priority they had. A second priority is not just the person of God, but also the people of God. It says that they were devoted not just only to the apostles' teaching, but to the fellowship. That means they were devoted to one another. This church, if you, if you look at the, the text in Acts chapter 2, you can see that this church was large. 3,000 were added in one day. but was also small. That is, they met in people's houses day to day. That kind of gives us a reflection of what a church should be today, regardless of its numeric size. In a sense, when we all gather together, we are the big church. We're the large church where everyone is together. Now, whether that means there's 30 people in a church or 3,000 people in a church, when we all gather together, that's the church as a large body. But then the church is designed to break off into smaller groups. The church is designed for us to take care of each other. The church is designed to make each other a priority, that they are devoted to not just to the apostles' teaching, but to the fellowship. And look, this church was a, was a diverse church. Back in verse 5, it tells us that it was made up of people, uh, Jews from all nations. There were people from all nations that were a part of this first church. When the Holy Spirit fell upon this church, the place, the city in which they were located, Jerusalem, was densely populated with people from all over the known world at that time. Now, I, I really want you to think about this. If there's ever been a time in our culture in which we have been, as the people of God, have been encouraged to divide, if there's ever been a time in which disunity has been so easy to fall into. It's today. In fact, there are things in our culture that would seek to disrupt our ministry, destroy our mission, and disunify the unity we have in Jesus. And those can be along lines of, of race. Those can be along lines of, of creed. Those can be along lines of language. Those can be dare I say, along lines of politics. But listen very, very carefully and closely. What we have in common in a relationship with Jesus is greater than all the things that separate us outside of Jesus. What we have in common, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, what we have in common in relationship with Jesus, that is greater than what makes us different. Again, that doesn't mean we don't celebrate the differences. Or that we don't celebrate the different cultures that might be in a church. 
but it means that we don't allow the enemy to divide and destroy us because we're different, because in Christ, what we have in common is greater than all those things that separate us outside of Christ. So we have to work at being devoted to each other, to the apostles' teaching, but also to the fellowship. There's a third priority of this text. Let's just know what that is. They made the presence of God a priority. Okay, so they have four priorities. The person of God, that's the apostles' teaching. And the people of God, that's the fellowship. But also the presence of God. That's where you see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it mentions that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread does not refer to them sitting down and having a sandwich with each other. Uh, the breaking of bread refers to communion. This is where they are remembering the Lord's death. You know, before Jesus died, he gathered his disciples together and he instituted what we call communion or the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. And Jesus told them to, to do that in remembrance of him. It's a, it's a proclamation of the death, the sacrifice of Jesus. And so what we see here in the early church is right at the very beginning, they are doing this. They're breaking bread together. Now, there's something about communion. There's something about sharing that time with the family of God that somehow brings about the presence of God in a very unique way. Now, we all know that, that the Lord is present whenever we gather to worship, whether we have communion or not, but he's present. But there's something about his presence that is magnified when we gather together and break bread in communion. It really shouldn't surprise us. And in fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? There's a participation we have in God's presence as we share communion together, the presence of God. That's why over the years, I'm talking the last uh, probably uh, 15 or 20 years, uh, I've had church members tell me that the most special services of their recent memory are those services around Easter, around Christmas, when I've traditionally helped or led churches to, to share a very special time of communion. Because there's just something about coming together as the people of God where God's presence is manifested as we share communion together. Now, here's the thing about God's presence with this early church, is that when these believers gathered to make God's presence a priority, they expected God to show up. Let me ask you, what do you expect to happen when you go to worship? What do you expect God to do when you gather together to worship? Oh, don't forget that every time we gather together, we're entering the presence of God. And God's presence wants to be felt. God's presence wants to be experienced by his people. Make that a priority. That, hey, when I go to worship, I'm going to expect God to be there. That was a priority for them. They had the priority of the person of God, the apostles' teaching, the people of God, the fellowship, the presence of God, the breaking of bread, and then they had as a priority the prayers offered to God. 
that tells us in Acts 2.42 they were devoted to prayer. Uh, these, these early Christians, to say they were devoted to prayer is an understatement. Uh, as we'll see throughout our movement through the book of Acts, these early Christians were heavily devoted to prayer. When, when they got in trouble, they prayed. When they were scared, they prayed. When their leaders were arrested and taken off to jail, they prayed. Everything that happened to them, they responded by prayer. See, prayer is one of the many things it is. Prayer is our declaration of our total dependence upon God. And these apostles, these, these believers of this first church, they had no choice. They had to rely upon God. I mean, Jesus had told them, I'm going to, to give you the Holy Spirit, and you're going to go take the gospel into the earth, but you have to wait for that Holy Spirit to come upon you. And so they waited. And as they waited, they prayed, and they devoted themselves to prayer. You cannot follow Jesus without being devoted to prayer. You will not depend upon Jesus unless you are devoted to prayer. Is prayer a priority in your lives? Okay, so there are their priorities. The person of God, the people of God, the presence of God, and prayers to God. Now, what happened as a result of having these priorities? This is really a part we, hadn't, we didn't even touch last Sunday. What happened as a result of having these right priorities? Look, look with me in verse 43. It says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Don't miss what's happening as they have the proper priorities. Several things are taking place. First, they experienced signs from the Lord. It tells us there were signs and wonders, the, the speaking in tongues, the fire, the wind. Now, we need to acknowledge that God was, was working in a very unique way at this particular time. God was using these supernatural events, these signs and wonders from God. He was using these signs and these wonders to authenticate the message of the apostles. However, that doesn't mean that God still doesn't work sign, do signs and wonders today. After all, God still heals people today. God still moves among his people today. In fact, the mere truth and reality that God saved you from your sins, is that not a sign and a wonder from the Lord? That he extends forgiveness to sinners who call out to him today? So when those priorities are in place, you can expect that you, like these members of the early church, will experience signs from the Lord, but also they rendered service to the Lord. If you go back and look at those verses, you can see how they ministered to one another. They would, 
sell their stuff and give the proceeds to those in need. They would give the stuff they had to those in need. So it's not just that they experienced signs from the Lord, they rendered service to the Lord, and then that caused them to enjoy a satisfaction in the Lord. They, they enjoyed satisfaction in their relationship with the Lord. There, there's a phrase that describes them in these verses, in verse 46. It says they had glad and generous hearts. They were giving their stuff away with glad and generous hearts. Why? Because they had a satisfaction in their soul that money could not buy. Because they had a satisfaction in their heart that their stuff could not provide them. When one of their later leaders, the Apostle Paul, gets put into prison, he sings. When one of their early pastors, Peter, gets put into prison, he lays down, takes a nap, he sleeps, like some of y'all do in church. How could they do that? How could Paul sing in prison? How could Peter sleep in prison? Those are both signs of contentment, singing and sleeping. Those are signs of being content. They could do that because they had something in their life that was greater than their money. It was greater than their possessions. It was even greater than their human freedom. They had the right priorities, and those priorities put them in a place to where they were satisfied. They enjoyed satisfaction in the Lord. And then finally, as a result of these right priorities, they witnessed salvation through the Lord. Salvation through the Lord. It tells us that day by day, God was adding to this number. Now, don't miss this. There was, there was an event where 3,000 came to Christ at one time at the end of Peter's sermon, which we'll look at this Sunday if the fire doesn't fall and the wind doesn't blow us away. But that's not those who are being added in verse 47. Those aren't coming from the big church service. Those are coming from the people who are meeting house to house. They're loving, they're praying, they're serving, they're sharing. And because of that, this group of Christians begins to grow and they witness salvation from the Lord and through him. It's, it's, it's an example to us, this early church. It's a challenge to us. It holds up a, a mirror, a standard, if you will, for us to say, okay, this, this early church, they, they weren't perfect. And we'll see this in the book of Acts. They were not perfect. They had sin because they, they were, a church is full of sinners. If, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it. You will ruin it, okay? Uh, there are no perfect churches. There are no perfect pastors. There are no perfect church members. This church was not perfect. But they had the right priorities. This is the one that's close to perfection, as we'll see in Scripture, I believe, because they were the ones that were first out of the gate with the Spirit of God upon their lives, and they prioritized the right things. So let's seek for their priorities to be ours. Let's seek to be people who seek after the person of God. We, we want to know God better. Let's be people who are devoted to the people of God. Let's care for each other. Let's serve one another. Let's be people who are devoted to the presence of God. Let's, let's gather this coming Sunday and let's expect God to show up as we gather. 
And as we move toward that time, let's be people who are devoted to prayer. Let's make sure that we stay in complete dependence and communication with our Father in heaven. And as we have those priorities, I believe that we will see God move as he always desires to move in his church. That comes down to my commitment. That comes down to your commitment. I'm ready to commit myself to that. Will you commit yourself to that today? We'll see you this coming Sunday as we continue our study in the book of Acts.